Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, friends. This is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode two. If, if one queer person or POC person dies today, you cannot kill our community spirit. We are continuing and we are working and the bridges that we build may be our backs and, and our hands and our feet, but we are continuing because this is the fight and, and our existence will not, it will not cease. A few months ago, I was scrolling through my Instagram feed and found a piece of poetry that just made me stop. I was riding the bus and I read through it and found tears uh, coming to my eyes because it was expressing this grief that I, I was currently feeling. Uh, and it was it was so beautiful. And I looked at who wrote this. And it was my friend Lauren, uh, who I'm pretty sure I met at the Reformation Project Conference in Long Beach uh, last fall. Uh, and I thought... She needs to be one of the first people on this podcast because her work expresses pieces of our hearts that I think are sometimes hard to get to. Uh, in this episode, we're talking about creativity, uh, faith, hope, humanity, gray areas, doubt, showing up, uh, poetry, and race. There, there's a lot. There's a lot in here. Uh, and Lauren reads some of her poetry for us a little bit later on in the episode, and I and I hope that it speaks to you as much as her work has spoken to me. Uh, Lauren Ileana Sotolongo is a Cuban-American writer, storyteller, who does a lot of work around the concepts of hope and humanity, posting poetry to Instagram, Facebook, her blog which is called Liturgical Space. Uh, and I just really love her work. Uh, before we dive in, I want to say thank you to all of you who have reached out in the last week um, with feedback and and such kind things to say about this podcast. Uh, it's, it's really cool to see that so many people are as excited about it as I am. Uh, if you've been listening and enjoying the podcast, uh, I would love it if you could head over to iTunes and leave a little review that's one of the ways that iTunes uh, populates their uh, popular fields. And it would be a big help to get, to possibly get Queerology featured uh, in, in some of the, the bigger parts of iTunes. Uh, so if you could do that, to make it easy, you can just go to my website, MatthiasRoberts.com slash review, and it will take you right there. Uh, let's go to Lauren. Lauren. <laughs> How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm great. I took a nap and I am prepped and ready. <laughs> yes, good. Uh, it is so good to have you here today. I'm really excited about this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so to start, uh, it's a question I usually ask everyone, uh, kind of two parts, but how do you identify 
Uh, and then what role has your faith played in your identity formation? Sure. Um, how do I identify? I guess if I had to put a name to it, I'd say I identify as a uh, queer Christian. Those are my primary identities. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously my faith plays into uh, my queer identity, my sexuality in every way. Mm-hmm. I think it. the reason it took me so long to... Um, kind of give a name to my sexual identity was because of my faith and that I kind of had to sift through a lot of that before I could even come to terms with anything involving sexuality just because my faith is kind of my the most foundational identity that I hold mm. uh, to be true and I have never seen that as something that could ever leave or yeah. stop being true um, and since that since kind of processing a lot of my identities, I think that even goes down to a more foundational level of human. And I've really liked, um, it's, it sounds cliche, but I really like identifying as that kind of at my foundation, because I think my humanity is ultimately like the roots to my faith. And mm. that, that is the most, um, that speaks most to, to my identity and the way I relate to other people, uh, yes, it's through the lens of like my faith and my sexuality and my ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think my humanity is kind of what ties that all together and allows me to give love and compassion and care to other people. And so um, I'd say like my humanity fits into all of it. And my faith has to be intimately tied to my sexual identity because mm-hmm. um, it's everything for me. I, I've, I've gone through a lot of, uh, things in life where they've been situations where I've experienced what I would call like a lot of weight and darkness. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, faith has been the one thing I haven't been able to let go of. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I, I, it doesn't make sense, but it has endured. And that's really fascinating. Um, even to me to, you know, think about. So yeah, it would be that identify as queer and my faith is intimately tied to that. Yeah. Ident- yeah, because that's a little bit of a different story than what I feel like some other people would say of that kind of idea of really uh, questioning faith uh, mm-hmm. and really going through those processes of like, are, can these two things be held hand in hand? And and not to say that you didn't go through that, but right. that kind of like that having a faith being kind of that bedrock of like, this is part of my humanity. Um Right. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think the idea of it not going, like, processing that idea of, like, my faith not necessarily going hand in hand with my sexuality or the fact that people said that. Hmm. Um, they said that about a lot of, like, a lot of things that I I experienced, I feel like. Like, I had to, when I was younger... Um, I went through a situation of abuse within the church Mm -hmm. and that directly contradicted, you know, like my, my faith and what I knew to be true about God and what I knew to be true of, you know, like a faith community um, that was supposed to be a safe place. And Mm -hmm. so there was a direct contradiction with my experience and the kind of pristine ideal of what faith should be. And so I had to come to terms really young with, the idea that human practice of faith um, was not 
the ideal of faith or like the the human perception of what faith is is not always accurate. Mm. And I think, you know, that caused like a lot of um, internal questioning and doubt at a young age. But mm-hmm. ultimately, I think that was kind of like really good soil to grow my faith in was that doubt. Um, right. And I, you know, I say this kind of, it's... <laughs> It's hard to say, but I, I appreciate that now, not the, that the experience was necessary um, for my faith to be what it is, but right. I feel like the Lord used it in the way that the Lord did. So Right, absolutely. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, so you say uh, on your website that you, you like to study hope and humanity. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think, and your answer to that question of how you identify that idea of humanity came through also, but... Um, and, and and you talk about this idea of like a, a liturgical space, uh, a space where we can kind of come together and create a respite of sorts uh, mm. from the world. Uh, could you kind of say more about that and, and the ways that you attempt to do this and, and say more about this idea of liturgical space and how you kind of understand it? Sure. Um, So I actually heard it on another podcast. (laughs) Shout out to the (laughs) podcast world, right? Um, But it was Rob Bell, and he was interviewing Pete Rollins. Mm -hmm. And um, I know Pete Rollins had got, I believe, yeah. And he'd gotten it from a different different person. You know, all these ideas (laughs) just growing for everyone. Um, But the idea of liturgical space, like as, yeah, a place of respite and a place where my concept was, um, or my kind of understanding of it is that people come in and feel safe to be fully seen and, and feel safe to express that, you know, like their kind of naked vulnerability, they feel safe, um, to be that there without judgment from others. And there's this like holy equality and, um, I don't want to use the language of third way because that's associated with a whole nother, you know, thing, right, but, right. um, the idea of there being another way than just these polarizing, uh, you know, discussions that people mm. are having. And it's really difficult, you know, in the current like climate that we're in politically and socially and within the church specifically that there are just, it's so easy, um, and valid at times, sure, to say, like, this is the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And yet, more often than not, and we know this as queer people of faith, there is gray to so much. And right. people have, you know, such um, varied experiences. And, you know, there's complexity to that. And so what I really enjoyed about the the concept of liturgical space is that we come and we meet each other and we see each other. And, and like, mm-hmm. there is such a holy interaction when like we learn to see the humanity in one another. And it's really hard, mm-hmm. you know, when we have the titles of like Republican or Democrat or liberal or conservative mm-hmm. um, in our minds when we're going into a conversation. And again, rightly so mm-hmm. because, you know, a lot of policies associated with things are oppressive and, and not okay. Right. And yet, I feel like what I've heard time and time again is that change happens when it's incarnated in a person and not a debate, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's difficult, you know, to like, there's the, you know, there's the, the question of like, should the oppressed be expected to do anything? Like, no, then, right. you know, like period, end of story. No. Right. And yet 
um, there's this this bridge that that can be built um, when we stay in a conversation. And again, that's so difficult, and we know this um, because so often queer people of faith are asked to be um, the bridges in these conversations, and it's mm-hmm. our bodies, you know, mm-hmm. and it hurts. It mm-hmm. hurts to be walked on, and it hurts to have to be that connecting point. Um, when there's going to be pain associated, and this is true, you know, in so many other communities. And, and so I think we know that and it's difficult, but there's this, if people come into this liturgical space saying you have humanity and I have humanity and let's explore that, I think that can be really important. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, there is, there is a necessity to call out like, this is not okay. And this, this is oppressive and this is not something that should be just tolerated or treated. Like it's, it's just a thing to kind of put to the side. Like there are policies and things that harm, like Mm -hmm. actually harm people. And this Mm -hmm. can come in the form of words too. And that um, shouldn't be tolerated. But the thing about this space is that um, it's just like this holy and intense vulnerability where, that that oppression has to die like right. it cannot stay when yeah. my humanity meets yours it's not it's not possible to for it to exist there right. because the soil won't let it grow right. and so um yeah the the idea of like hope and and humanity growing in that liturgical space ideally moves towards the death of oppression and that is um you know that's the goal as opposed to these debates and it's mm. It's hard because, right. you know, the debates are good and the debates, you know, point out the oppression in very right. concrete ways. Um, and the liturgical space, I think, can can ask more of us than we can give. And that's also fair to point out, like, mm-hmm. I can give this right now or I'm not at a place where this is um, where I'm able to do this. And that's fair, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, I feel like that space should be safe for that person, too, you know, to right. say, I'm not engaging, but I'm here and y'all can take care of me, you know, like that, that person there is there too. So, um, I just think it's kind of a radical way of viewing things. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, like with my friends who, who want to point out and, and, you know, yell and put their bodies in the way of like these oppressive things and policies and people, I also say yes to, like, I cannot say that that's not valid. It's so valid there are days when I say that's my action today. Like that right. is, that is how I bring liturgical space forcefully to this area because it needs to be right, um, right. there. So it, it comes in varied forms. Um, yeah. But yeah, I heard it on that podcast and it just kind of blew my brain. Cause I, I heard it after the, uh, the, uh, you know, the election happened mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, it gave me a form of hope that I couldn't hold on to in any other form at that point. Right. Um, so I kind of held that word. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it sounds like a very embodied practice or a space where you can you kind of are bringing your whole self and and whether that self is saying like you said whether that self is saying like i can't do this right now or whether the self mm. is saying i have to stand up and be bold and 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 work in the face directly in the line of action uh, mm-hmm. it's an it's an entirely embodied practice it sounds like Exactly. And I think I, what's funny is I think I experience this mostly um, when I go into the church 
And so I'm, I'm involved in a church in DC here where I am uh, thankfully allowed to serve and lead uh, without question of, you know, without any issue regarding Mm -hmm. my sexuality. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I go into a space to lead worship, um, the varied state of my mind is so interesting or just going to church for service. But um, some weeks I'm, I've told friends, like, I, I don't know if I fully believe in the, you know, religious structure of Christianity and like, oh my gosh, American Christianity, like the awful history, you know, that it carries with it. And like, how do I bear this name of Christian Mm -hmm. and why, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. and there are some weeks where I go into a set with more doubt than faith. And yet I think that the act of showing up and embodying that um, experience for myself is an act of faith and is, right. you know, holy in and of itself. And that is an embodiment of liturgical space for me in that moment is that I'm showing up yeah. uh, because and in spite of this lack of belief or doubt, which I think, you know, ultimately feeds into the way I've conceptualized my faith as a whole. It's just about showing up for me. Right. Um, and, and take, something. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, to take, and to take that space completely as like as a queer woman of color, mm-hmm. that in itself is a huge act. Yeah, and a it's you act. know what? <laughs> it's so interesting because, um, yeah, the the action of of just showing up at church, and I've I've like after leading worship, um, there have been parents that have come up to me and said like, man, I feel like my, I, I, I want, I told my kid about, you know, you leading worship here and just like seeing you shows me that they, that they could have a space here. And I'm like, mm. oh my gosh. And that's me showing up however I am, you know, right. whether it's like, no matter what headspace I'm in, my body being there and representing something is so important mm. for beyond my, my, uh, you know, my feelings that week. And mm. that's, that has just humbled me to the most. Like, I don't, I don't understand it, but that just shows me more and more like it's, it's just about showing up and not, I mean, not always like there is a need to act and to, you know, reflect and do. Mm -hmm. Um, But if my, if my heart and my body, if I can't give, that's also okay, you know, and that space is for me too. And it's really neat that my church has offered me that kind of space because a lot of people don't have that. And right. I've, I mean, wow. You know, I've, I've recognized that that's just an immense privilege mm-hmm. um, to have that space to just figure out so much and show up broken or peppy or, you know, just like not feeling worthy, whatever it is, like I'm there and they are meeting me wherever I'm at. And that is, it's yeah it's just it's really humbling and holy and wonderful (laughs) yeah that sounds incredible (laughs) yeah yeah um gives me me chills just thinking about it yeah (laughs) totally me too it's like because there's so many people who don't have spaces like that and don't have the opportunity and the ability to be themselves completely in a place of worship yeah yeah Yeah. Like, and I remembered one Sunday I showed up because 
when I so when I go through a difficult time, there are a very a variety of ways I process it. One of the ways is by giving myself a haircut and or dyeing my hair. So <laughs> there was one Sunday, it was like it was that Saturday or Friday or something, where I had just dyed my hair um all purple. And I was like, I didn't think about this until I was uh driving to church that morning. I was like, oh crap. I'm leading worship this morning and my hair is purple. Maybe this isn't okay. <laughs> you know, because like at the church I grew up in or or maybe not there either. I don't know. But yeah. I was just nervous. I was like, oh shoot, I'm a leader. Like, right. is this distracting? Is this okay? I don't know. So I show up with my purple hair. And uh I remember two of the leaders were like, Oh my gosh, that is really cool hair. And that was it. That was yeah. the extent of the conversation. It wasn't a thing. It was just like wow, you, you did your hair not like you, you colored your hair and that's, that's cool. You're mm. still you, you know, like mm. it wasn't, it, it's so much more than that, you know, and, and, and they're seeing that like, it's not, oh, I don't know. And I remember wearing a, a tie for the first time on stage. Mm -hmm. I think I, I don't remember when I did it. It was a couple months ago. And again, I was so nervous going into church. I was like, is this okay? You know, I am definitely presenting as something different than a gender norm and right, like right. you know as a, as a woman this is different um and again they were just like man that's a really cool outfit and that was it that's and I was awesome. like, this is wonderful you know like the space to move and and to you know like experience your full humanity and to have others affirm that wow you know yeah. and i i i don't know yet how we expand that and i think we like each of us you know, start becoming these liturgical spaces as we move around right. in affirmation of others, you know, mm -hmm. and, and in seeing others in their vulnerability and their nakedness and saying, you are beautiful too. And that's mm -hmm. that, like, you know, it doesn't, it's not this huge thing that we have to discuss or debate. It's just like, you are in a beautiful human being right. and let's like learn more about each other and live life. Like that's, yeah. that's the extent. It's so cool. Mm. It sounds like what the church should be. So another space that I've noticed where you where you kind of bring these this liturgical space uh, is through your writing, through your poetry, uh, your blogging, uh, your Instagram, uh, and it's something that I know I personally like. I love following your Instagram and reading your poetry, and it's definitely mm. touched me. Uh, multiple times I've read something I've just have like stopped and like, Oh my gosh, like putting <laughs> words to pain or, or mm. grief or, you know, whatever it's touched me. It's been amazing. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I was wondering if you'd be maybe willing to read some of your poetry uh, and maybe talk a little bit about what it's like as a creative act uh, to mm -hmm. kind of bring these spaces about. Um, sure. Yeah. And I guess just to preface, um, before I read the, and I remember you messaging me that day and saying, you know, that you appreciated the words and it's just like the insecurity in creating anything is so real. Mm. Um, and you know, and the insecurity in like, in, in being oneself is, is very real and deep. And I feel like that's an extension of any sort of creativity. You know, when you're creating something, you are extending, um, a really, bare part of yourself to mm. someone or like a group of people. Mm. Um, and with social media, we've seen this like just, you know, 
everyone's doing it in different ways, uh, which is really empowering and awesome. And yet there's still that deep insecurity on the backside of it. So um, it's, it's been really hard. The process of sharing is very interesting for me because, um, there's always that deep insecurity in the back and, mm-hmm. you know, as humans, we want to be regarded and, and, uh, affirmed and all these things. And yeah. that doesn't always happen and it's fine. You know, like that's also fine, but it's right. hard yeah. <laughs> um, because it's like, here's a piece of, you know, what makes me bleed or, or laugh or, mm-hmm. you know, all these things. And, and I'm, I'm giving it to you to hold, like, will you hold it? And sometimes mm-hmm. it's not held and sometimes it is. And, right. um, so yeah, the process of creating in and, in and of itself is interesting because it's so vulnerable. Um, but let me, okay. So I'll read, I think I'll read my, um, my initial coming out poem, okay. which uh, I wrote. So I felt the need to publicly come out just as a, because I write a lot and I was kind of editing that out. I felt quite yeah. a bit. Um, mm-hmm. I thought, okay, I need to publicly do this just so I can put it in my writing and people, <laughs> you know, right. just so, it's um, so yeah, this is that one. And it, uh, it's called confessions. Gay Christian. This poem went from eight pages to one. Gay Christian. I'm the opening joke for both the sermon and the bar scene. They're only one. See, it's hard to engage every part of you when all the people and ideals that feel a part of you are not only running from each other, they're trying to crucify one another into spiritual and political history. See, call me gay Christian, but I will not leave your churches or dinner tables or bar scene to have my back painted briskly with generalizations about this lifestyle. This lifestyle is not your caricature to paint as if this lifestyle was just something I decided to have for breakfast one day. But my love isn't a McMuffin or stack of pancakes, and my faith will always define my identity. But please understand that my sexuality isn't a switch. It's more like a pulse that beats until something goes wrong. And I'm sorry that to you, I am something that went wrong. But I am not something for you to isolate and contain as if your own adultery isn't more shame than me going on a first date. And I may not be a saint, but I still want children and a family someday, Christians, family, Christians, I'm not asking you to agree. I'm only saying that six verses in scripture does not make you my savior or my doctor. It makes you my family. Christian, gay Christian, LGBTQ Christian, let's just call us human. I am the pastor's opening joke, but I have the privilege to step out. And so I must because an entire community is being silenced with Polywana Leviticus 2013, and I'm done stuffing my soul with things that others choke down for me. And though I am terrified, make no mistake, I am terrified. This is now irrelevant, because I can finally see the orange haze of your skin at dawn. I can finally see your smile warm and shining. And now everything I once thought dead can finally rise. So I'm stepping out. I can finally rise. We are stepping out. Family, rise now together. These chains of shame are not our family history anymore. So that was that one. 
Um, so that it did go. It, it was eight pages. Mm. <laughs> it was <like> one. <laughs> that that is all true. The mm. the facts are true. Mm. Um, yeah, that was putting that. So I recorded it and put it on you know the Facebook and yeah. the Instagram and um, man, the anxiety was real. I oh, yeah. and the messages were varied and very interesting. Mm. Um, I had you know people from my college come out to me like in my in my messages which is really cool and mm-hmm. honoring um and then of course you know there were family messages of uh <laughs> you know love they they, they <laughs> quote unquote love it's you know it's tough yeah, it's, a, right. it's it's weird balance mm-hmm. um and and tr- old church family um pastors that i worked with and things like that that you know wanted to engage uh that conversation mm-hmm. in a way that they thought was helpful mm-hmm. um and it was a lot at once like you you know creating something also it does i think initiate a conversation it, yeah. it kind of opens a door mm-hmm. and i think i it took me a while to recognize that like i am opening a door when i say these things um and when I offer myself, like I am right. giving someone the opportunity to do something with that mm-hmm. and that will be painful, you know? Um, so that was, yeah, that was a, that was a big one. I actually started writing that one, um, on a drive to Arizona. I turned on my, whatchamacallit, the, uh, just the recording thing on my phone. Yeah. And started talking into it because I was so, there was so much tension that it just spilled out, you know? And I think that's so much of creativity too, especially for me, these poems that I write. um, I'm not just, I'm not like sitting at a desk thinking like, ooh, what should I put out tomorrow? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like this overflow of emotion that I have just experiencing life and people that demands to be like said in some way, you know, I need to let go of it. Sometimes I'll, I'll get an idea at like one or 2am and I'm like, Oh crap, I gotta, like, I gotta get up and write it or else I won't be able to sleep. You know? And it's like, that. it's like this, it demands my attention and it, it just let me go. Mm -hmm. Um, which is a really cool concept to conceptualize until you have work at 7am the next morning, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, the creative that also has to pay the bills with a job that is not related. Um, yeah. So that was one that was, uh, really important to me. Yeah. And then, um, there was another one I wrote recently about, um, Jordan Edwards and the, the shooting. Mm -hmm. um, so I could read that one. That would be mm. shorter. Mm-hmm. So it's just called Jordan. They were afraid of your smooth black hands, Jordan. Those soft growing palms were stretched forcefully into a white man's canvas, splattered with red hues, thick and smeared cannibalism on a dashboard. But you... Jordan are not something to be hung up or displayed. Jordan, you are not art, though your skin is accessorized when it's safe. You are not savage, though your face is demonized in the wake. History tells a sanitized victor's tale, Jordan. We must hold up our bloody hands and bodies and shout till our lungs break. Some of us were born with guns in our hands. 
Some of us were born with guns to our backs. Jordan, I am sorry we pulled the trigger. I am sorry. Some of us are safer to run from instead of to. Mm. And that was, you know, that was just, uh, there's so many stories about mm. a lot of, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> just the black community being killed, you know, yeah. Yeah. black men, black boys, mm -hmm. um, black women, black and brown women. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot. Um, mm -hmm. and so that was just a response to like processing another one. And that, you know, like that conversation in and of itself took me so long to, um, kind of, wrap my head around because coming from the west coast i i feel like the conversation of race was something that um we didn't we didn't really talk about right. we didn't um yeah it just and i i you know i'm my parents were cuban immigrants and um my dad is he's uh white and my mom is brown and i have you know uncles that are brown and but a lot of my family has uh, white skin or white skin. Um, and so it's been this, this weird thing because on the West Coast, we didn't, we didn't talk about it at all. And then I right. came to the East Coast um, in 2014. And it was as if this whole reality was uncovered, you know. Mm. And it, but it had always existed. I was just ignorant to it mm -hmm. and didn't see it. You know, um, because where I came from, honestly, like there, there weren't many black people were right. in, in neighborhoods or right. um, in those neighborhoods and where I grew up. And so um, coming to D.C., uh, it was just everything was flipped. And I, yeah. I had to engage in a conversation that I didn't know I didn't know about, you yeah. know, uh -huh. it was, it's really interesting. And like even figuring out where I am within that conversation, like with me personally, um, because when you call me a queer woman of color, mm -hmm. even that title, like it, it, it feels like a privilege to hold because I am certainly red as white mm. by, uh, most people. And it's, it's, you know, like that is, that is very real. Like I have a privilege by, um, in holding that. And right. I, yeah, it's just, it's so difficult because I feel like I have the, the colonizer and the colonized in me simultaneously. Right. It's, right. it's such an interesting place because I don't know which conversation I fit into a lot of the time. I feel mm -hmm. like in white spaces, I, I'm, I don't feel like I belong. And then in right. POC spaces, I feel like I have to explain, yeah, right, <laughs> you know, right. and rightly so like fair. Mm -hmm. Um, because there is a lot of privilege with my skin. Like I, yeah. I am red as white. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, just engaging the past three years with uh, the conversation on race and just the violence against black and brown bodies that I had no concept of understanding, right. uh, honestly, before right. I came to DC. Mm -hmm. uh, reading the new Jim Crow, reading MLK's like writings. And um, it's, yeah, it's, it's a conversation that I think I that a lot of America is, is, or the U S rather is, um, not engaged with because right. they see it as this, you know, as this colorblind society. And yeah, yet absolutely this violence is perfectual and continuing. And, and yeah, 
Yeah, it's exciting because I think in in the in the sense that I think a lot of our generation is um, unwilling or rather unable to turn their eyes from it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think more people are becoming aware that if we want to love one another, we have to see one another, right. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Like, if I don't see the color of your skin, I don't see your skin, I don't see you, you right. know? Like, yeah. that is not something you can get around. Right. Uh, and and so I'm encouraged by that because I feel like that is a, a sentiment that is that is generally... Um, being heard by people in their 20s at this point Um, you know ideally that moves towards policy and we push for that um, too and yeah it's 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 an interesting mix but i'm encouraged by generally you know Mm -hmm. by what we're doing trying to do yeah that that recognition of and questioning of colorblindness that's Yeah, because like I mean, because here in Seattle, like we we push ourselves as being this progressive city, but it's very much that West Coast kind of like. Well, yeah, we still don't talk about race. We still like <laughs> right. it's still like pretty much. I mean, we're still. I think we're one of the most segregated cities in the country, and it's like mm-hmm. we're not. We're yeah, not doing it like <laughs> right, and, and it even yeah. makes people uncomfortable to to bring up. You know, right. it's, it's like discomfort thing like oh let's not talk about it let's and you know even for me like it's like no let's talk about queer issues let's talk about LGBT you know but it's and what we were talking about today I was at this press conference and we're talking about the intersection of things and how if this is not and it's it's become this cliche phrase which is unfortunate but it's fine but if it's not intersectional then it's not going to be full justice you know it's not going to be justice for all people and that we cannot ignore that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and in encompassing and like becoming liturgical space for all people that that means it has to be intersectional. It's not just about, um, LGBT people or it's, it's all intersecting, you know, right. right. Yeah. People of color are LGBT people mm-hmm. and allies mm-hmm. and they are our friends, they are our family and they are us. And yeah. this is not, you know, another issue. This is all interrelated. And I think there was, what was that C.S. Lewis quote? He says, um, he says something like, I wrote something about this and why I'm remembering, but he said, you know, like be nice to people because you don't know the battle they're fighting. Right. Um, And it's like, yes, but don't just, don't just be kind because of that. Don't just be mm-hmm. kind because they're fighting their battle. Be kind because their battle is your battle. You mm-hmm. know, like this is not separate from you. You know, right. this is not, you're not in your tower here and they're down here like having their issues. Like, no, if one of us isn't free, then we're not yeah. like we're not. Um, and unfortunately, I think that's it. Unfortunately, and fortunately, we're really seeing this uncovered in, you know, the U S and mm-hmm. like, <laughs> I mean, white supremacy and and these colonial, all this crap is just like being uncovered intense. Right. And we're seeing it, which yeah. is like, thumbs up, we're seeing it. But wow, I didn't, like, I had no idea it was there that deeply, you know, or totally. in so, so many parts of the country. Um, right. And I feel like a lot of the U.S. is, is hearing and seeing things that... Uh, POC communities have, have seen for 
decades. You know, right. it's it's just now becoming a general American quote unquote understanding. Like this right. is the state of your society. Now face it. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. um, but I'm I'm also encouraged because I I listened to this. Uh, it was a snippet from Michelle Alexander, and she said, like we are we are moving forward and we are making advances and we are trying to rebirth this country from all this junk, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and these politicians and this administration is the resistance to us. Like they yeah. are the resistance we are pushing forward, you know, like right. they are trying to get in the way, but we are moving and we are like rebirthing all this stuff yeah. And seeking justice for all people. And they are trying to stop us, yeah. but we will not stop. And I thought that was an interesting mm-hmm. reframing of um, the concept of resistance. Like, no, they aren't the steamroller. We are. And this right. is the good will prevail and is prevailing. And they are trying to make it stop, but we can't, you know, yes. yeah. like good, good will win. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I thought that was that was interesting, too. Mm. Even the the word resistance, you know, makes it seem like, oh, we're going to lose, though. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shoot, this is too heavy. Oh, but I'll try a little bit longer. You know, but that's I really enjoyed that. She said that she was like, no, they are resisting. We will win. You know, Um, that was. Yeah. This makes me think of something that you wrote on your Instagram today. uh, (laughs) And uh, it might be a really good place to close, but Mm -hmm. you wrote, uh, how do we end up in the places we dream? How do we know what to dream? We keep following where our heartbeat quickens. We keep speaking when our mouth dries up and we keep showing up. We follow our pulse and we don't stop. Mm. It's so good. It's so true. Mm. That kind of, that pressing forward, even in that space of fear and trembling and not mm-hmm. having words and yeah um, because like this spirit doesn't die like i use uh did i say we follow our pulse or something like that i yeah. use that very intentionally because while people get killed because of their the identity that they cannot shed that is so tied to their humanity mm-hmm. um this this spirit of of good and 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 continuing to exist that cannot die like you can't kill that in us we are human that is our existence we are human and you Mm -hmm. cannot kill that Mm -hmm. um and so following our pulse it's 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 the thing that doesn't die it continues in us if Mm -hmm. if one queer person or poc person dies today you cannot kill our community spirit. We are continuing and we are working and the bridges that we build may be our backs and, yeah. and our hands and our feet, but um, we are continuing because mm-hmm. this is the fight and and our existence will not, like, it will not cease, you mm-hmm. know? We are here and I think that's powerful in our, yeah. our dinner tables, with our families, um, in the places we grew up, I'm terrified of the, <laughs> the place, like, to be honest, I am. And, yeah. and, but I think the biggest thing we can do is exist unapologetically where we are. And that is what changes hearts and people and minds. It's, it's not a set of facts that's helpful, mm-hmm. but it's the incarnate person bringing this, this vulnerability, bold vulnerability mm-hmm. to places that tell them to close up and tell them to be quiet and tell them to be afraid. And we say, no, 
mm-hmm. I'm here and, mm-hmm. and this is good enough. And this, yeah. is, this is good. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to church now. Yeah. Where we go? Eat you, eat you for drinks. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. uh, thank you so much, Lauren. Yeah. Uh, this has been such, such a pleasure. You can follow Lauren's work on Instagram at Lauren Sotolongo. Her Twitter name is the same. Uh, and her blog is liturgicalspace.co. So go subscribe right now. You're not going to regret it. I like eagerly anticipate her posts every day. Not that she posts every day. And that sounds kind of creepy, but this, I mean, whatever. Anyway. Queerology is on Twitter at QueerologyPod, or you can tweet me at Matthias Roberts. Again, I'd love it if you would head over to iTunes and leave a review, MatthiasRoberts.com slash review. And again, always feel free to shoot me a message with comments, thoughts, people you'd like to see on the podcast. You just go to my website, there's a little contact page there. I will read it and respond. Yeah, cool. So anyway, until next week, everyone, I hope you have a great week uh, and... We'll see you then. Bye. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.